Calling all benders and non-benders alike. Jump into the epic world of Avatar with your favorite podcast, Avatar Braving the Elements. Hosted by me, Janet Varney. And me, Dante Bosco. Each week we'll recap and discuss a new episode. So come join us and our amazing guests from creators to cast to superfans to chat about all things Avatarverse. It's Fire Nation time. Book of Fire. Let's go. Listen to Avatar Braving the Elements on Apple Podcasts. Or wherever you get your podcasts. Light the fuse. Well, this is not mission difficult, Mr. Hunt. It's mission impossible. Difficult should be a walk in the park for you. Uh, it's all got to do with the rabbit's foot. Please don't make me go through you. Sir, Hunt is the living manifestation of destiny, and he has made you his mission. Kittredge, you've never seen me very upset. And you really think we can do this? We're going to do it. Welcome to Light the Fuse, the official, and I cannot stress this enough, official <laughs> Mission Impossible podcast. It's Drew Taylor, once again joined by the magnetic, the just beautiful soul that is Charles. So Charles, how are you feeling? I feel okay. I feel like you break me down, but then you build me back up, and I, and I really appreciate that, you know? It's psych Warfare 101. <laughs> we're, we're, always, we're always engaged. Um Speaking of psych warfare, I'm sure somebody who knows something about psych warfare is probably Dale Die. I bet he does know some weird tricks of the mind. Do you think that's safe? Yeah, I think if any if, if any of our guests uh, in the five plus years that we've been doing this knows about psych warfare, I'd say it's going to be Dale Die. One hundred percent. So so excited for everyone to hear part two. This is uh, just a, a wonderful conversation that we have with him he is so funny and tells such great stories so i can't wait for people to hear this uh just a heads up there is a uh, rogue train sound in the background at one point uh, while we talk to dale so don't worry there's not a train going through your living room or anything like that it's just just a train going by in the background of our chat uh with dale so that's it and then um also i was thinking we should probably maybe give um context for uh what is band of brothers and the pacific and masters of the air can you tell us, Drew? Yeah, absolutely. So Band of Brothers was an HBO limited series uh, from a few years ago, probably a, uh, over a decade ago at this point, maybe 15 years ago. We're not going to look it up, so it doesn't matter. Don't even bother <laughs> doing it. But that show was actually written largely by our friend Eric Jenderson, who co-wrote Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1, which is available on digital as well as 4K, HD, Blu-ray, and DVD right now. So that was the first show. And then there was sort of a, a spiritual successor called The Pacific that was produced by the same people, including Tom Hanks and Gary Goutsman and the team at Playtone. And then there is an upcoming show that I believe premieres in February called Masters of the Air on Apple TV+. And that is sort of the third chapter 
of the series of war stories that started with Band of Brothers. Is that a pretty good explanation, Charles? Yeah, it is. But I think actually Band of Brothers might be even older than you're, you're remembering. I think, oh, I no. think even, how old is it? I think the Pacific is even almost 15 years old now. Wasn't that around 2010? Oh, man. Um, wow. Yeah, it's a great, all, all great shows, obviously. But yeah, both Band of Brothers and the Pacific, and I can't wait for Masters of the Air. But yeah, it comes up in our conversation, so I just felt like maybe people should know about that. It's something that uh, Dale says he's very proud of, and as he should be. So uh, I think that's it for me. Uh, if, there's, if there's anything else you've got to say, we, we can just let people hear all the gold. Yeah, if you haven't listened to part one, probably do that before this one. It's it's wonderful as well. But yeah, let's get into it, Charles. So you, you've done some period pieces as well. I'm curious... You know, do you do a lot of research for, you know, something like, you know, Saving Private Ryan, The Thin Red Line, even going back as far as Last of the Mohicans? Or um, Alexander. Or Alexander. Or Alexander, yeah, yes. Yeah. Are you having to do a lot of research for that? Or do you already, were you already kind of a scholar of those things? Yeah. I, look, every professional military man is, is automatically a, a scholar of military history. And I've always been that. I mean, you can't see it here, but I I have something like 1,100 books uh, that I'm in all the time. Um, And I don't, it's not work for me. I I enjoy doing it. I mean, hell, I write books. Uh, So uh, being surrounded by the great literature of the genre, to me, is is just terrific. So, yes, I do that kind of research. And and I like to say that uh, in in my experience with my company, uh, Warriors Global now, we'll do anything from Peloponnesian Wars to Star Wars. And lo and behold, we actually have, if you look at the resume, we've done Alexander all the way up to uh, uh, Starship Troopers. So I, I love that kind of research. It's not work to me. Uh, it sometimes is confounding because uh, you've, you've always got to, you work from a base of reality and then let the screenwriters take it off into into uh, their realm but you know i've i've been a screenwriter i've been a director uh and i think i've been an actor and i've been a a consultant or advisor so i think i I know the business pretty well and i i bring with that an appreciation for what everybody's got to do i get it that we have to take so-called dramatic license uh, I get it that you can't make a three act format work with uh, if you don't take a departure here or there. Uh, I get all of that. I get that you've got to compress time. And and uh, and so when I do the research for these sort of things, I, I bear that in mind. I try to be the guy who's got to put this crap into action and and figure it out. How, how mean are you to actors? Terribly. mean. Are you saying stuff like you're not waiting for your reservation at Spago? Or something like that. You know, you should really get in their head. and That was, that was very weak. <laughs> well, <I'm sorry. laughs> well, that's why we just do a podcast. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, can't be, I can't be as mean as you, but I mean, I, what, what are you saying to them? I'm notoriously. I'm notorious. I mean, they, I think they call me Captain Stanislavski. But I'm, I'm notorious for reducing actors to the lowest common denominator. I mean, unscrewing their heads pouring all the actor crapola out and filling it up with the right stuff and then and then prepping them for what they have to portray on screen. And that has, you know, I, I go at that 
the same way I would go at training one of your kids uh, if he was at Paris Island or San Diego. I believe in immersion. Immersion. I believe that you've got to feel it. Actors are about sensing things. And they can't sense something that is 180 miles out of their experience. Uh, they just make up something from the last bad war movie they did. So, or the last bad war movie they saw, and they copy that. Well, that's wrong. And that leads to, uh, it leads to false and, and very thin performances. And I don't believe in those things. So I tend to immerse them. And in immersing them, uh, it's about reducing them to a lowest common denominator. And I do that by treating them like Joe shit, the rag man. And, <laughs> and here we go. And, and the thing about it is, I guess I've trained upwards of a thousand actors now. And uh, the thing about it is they've come to expect it. You know, they'll call each other on the actor grapevine and say, oh, God, I got to do one with Die. What's he like? And they'll, they'll tell you. And they'll come in trying to get after me with something they've heard somewhere else. And I, I, I have plenty of ways to get around that. But, uh, but I guess, uh, am I mean? Yeah. <laughs> am I, am I heartlessly mean? No. Uh, in fact, we have a part of the tradition in my training, uh, curricula is a thing called stand down which is uh, an hour or so every evening, usually after chow, because I train 24 hours. You know, you sleep two hours a night if you hadn't pissed me off that day. And we go at it so that you understand the business of exhaustion and, and so on. So during these stand downs, uh, it's my time to be Uncle Captain. So I get to talk about the things they really want to know, you know. What, what does it feel like when you uh, when you get hit with morphine? Uh, what does it feel like when you when a bullet hits you? All of these little things that to them are huge and may seem trivial trivial to anyone else, but we address those things. And my issue with me and my staff, my executive office has been with me for fifty years now. Um, the the principle is. Never leave a question unanswered. If you sense that that kid, that actor, doesn't get it or, or feels that his question has not been adequately addressed or answered, then you stay with it until he gets what you're trying to convey or he gets the response that he needs um, to convey that issue. And if it takes four hours, it takes four hours. You stay with the kid and get him his answers. Is there was there ever a guy that you thought was going to be a real wimp that turned out to be a true Tom Cruise? Oh, oh wow, okay. I thought, oh God, what's what's this going to be? You know, <laughs> but he, he he turned out to be he, a huge heart. He would not. He, there's no quit in him. Yeah, and uh, and I expected less. Let me say that, and got more. Wow. Well, you were in two, uh, you were in Under Siege 1 and 2 with Steven Seagal, speaking of actors and... Oh, God. Uh, <laughs> he has claimed that he, um, I think he's claimed that he was in the CIA or something or, you know, like... Yeah. Um, any any uh, memories of chatting up Steven Seagal about his, uh, his, his real or imagined military background? <laughs> he wasn't. Me chatting him, he ch he came, he stuck to me like glue. I think he thought 
well, here's a guy who's really done it. And, and if I'm seen with him, you know, it'll, it'll rub off. <laughs> I didn't have any problems with him. Um, but I recognized that, that we were dealing with Walter Mitty here. Uh, and I think, I think that has proved to be exactly the case. You must have gotten along with Tommy Lee, though. Nice, co- oh, nice country Tommy, boy. Listen, yeah. I have played I have played Tommy Lee's sidekick, I think, in about three movies. Uh, <laughs> you know, so I'm either the I'm either the shadow disguised guy or I'm the sidekick. But but uh, Tommy's great. And I, people tend to not get along with him. He say he can be prickly and so on and so forth. But so can I. So we were kindred spirits. And, <laughs> and I, I love the guy. I think he's great. Yeah, <laughs> the best. Amazing. Um, I wanted to circle back quickly to uh, the Thin Red Line because Terrence Malick is known for, you know, getting distracted by maybe distracted is not the right word. But if he sees, you know, a beautiful butterfly off to the side, then he'll go off and film that for a while. But in the case of the Thin Red Line, he's got a giant, um, you know, uh, essentially a military uh, unit uh, waiting to shoot. Did anything like that ever happen when you well, shoot uh, the thin red line? That's a great question. <laughs> yes, uh, but but let me let me tell you the truth of the matter. I was I was do I was getting ready to do I think Saving Private Ryan at the time, and uh, and I was in England, and my executive officer. We we met with Terrence Malick in Houston. And, and he decided he would hire us uh, to do this thing. And what I remember is he gave me a 220-page script. And I said, what the hell is it? I mean, it, it was an attempt to get in, inside James Jones' mind, I think. Um, but I couldn't personally do the thin red line. So my executive officer, who, as I mentioned, we were both corporals together in Vietnam. Uh, uh, he He's absolutely knows the die method and he teaches he's my executive officer in the company so um so he went to do uh thin red line while i was doing uh, saving private ryan we were on different parts of the world but he would call me and he said dale i don't know how to deal with this guy and i said what do you mean he he suddenly will wander off and disappear and, and, and we'll find him talking to a parrot, you know, in the jungle. <laughs> well, does he have anything, does he have anything interesting to say to the parrot? Or? And he said, no, he just, and he didn't even have a camera. I don't know what the hell he's doing. So I said, well, just stick with it, you know, um, and, and they did, uh, but he, he has, you should talk to him sometime. And he, he's got great stories about that particular film. <laughs> I bet. Uh, I guess, yeah. I, and what I remember uh, about Malik was that, uh, and there's another director, by the way, who, who does that, tends to wander off, but he does it in a different way. Uh, John Milius, oh. with whom we did, we did Rough Riders, um, John would disappear. <laughs> and then we'd hear gunshots <laughs> and it was John out testing a weapon. And, uh, so he, but he disappeared for the same reason. Um, what the hell were we talking about? Oh, uh, uh, Mil- Malik, uh, uh, Malik, uh, great artist, uh, but, but hard to get to know unless you yourself are a, a great 
ethereal thinker and, and that sort of thing. Wow. Um, he, he reminds me of a Renaissance painter. You know, you, you never know what's going on in Van Gogh or, or those, what, never know what's, what they're seeing, what's going on in their mind. And I think Terry Malick's exactly that. Wow. Do you ever, you ever run into him in Austin or anything? I mean, he's around. He's in Houston. Uh, he, he's got a place in Houston, I think. Okay. No, I haven't seen him. I saw him while I was still in, in L.A. Uh, I saw him once, and, and you know, he he's easily distracted. Let me put it that way. <laughs> so maybe distracted was the right word. <laughs> and and I, think, I think he struggled to remember who the hell I was. Uh, but anyway, I haven't seen him while we're in Texas. Well, I think we, you know, we have a big question, which is what was it like going up against the intergalactic horde of rampaging insects? And also, what was it like? Talk about a famous screamer. I think <laughs> Verhoeven has kind of got a colorful personality as well, right? Yeah. yeah the Starship Troopers. Yeah. yeah. I wanted to do that film um, because it had been one of my favorite books. And, and I had carried Starship Troopers along with two or three other books. It was constantly in my pack while I was on active duty. Because it was a great read. You know, here's Space Marines. And so I, I really worked my bolt uh, trying to get on that film and finally got hired. And, uh, and they wanted me to, to train these. It, it, it was interesting. They let me write the curriculum and everything, who the unit was and all that. So I designed all of that. But it became obvious to me very quickly that our boy Paul Verhoeven had in mind uh, recreating Nazis. And, uh, and Christ, the little role he gave me, the little walk-on he gave me with one line, I was dressed like an SS officer. Yeah. But, but I knew that we were not going to get the original intent of Starship Troopers, uh, Heinlein's book. And and so uh, I had to do I had a choice. I could go up against Paul Verhoeven and say, this is nonsense. You've got that. You know, and I, I knew that wasn't that wasn't a good career move. <laughs> so I said, you know what, I, I will do what I can to try to keep it within the realm of credibility. And I kept having to remind myself it's science fiction, science fiction, relaxed die. You know, it's not some it's not a documentary. So uh, given that uh, we kind of relaxed a little bit and then uh, and I had a terrific unit of uh, of kids that I had trained uh, up in uh, Wyoming to be the, the Starship Troopers surrounding Casper Van Dien and, and so on and so forth. Um, so they were fun. And, you know, I have no compunction about killing bugs. Um, hell, I, we got bugs down here in Texas that I, I can shoot them half the time rather than slap them. But, uh, <laughs> so I've got, I've got no compunction about that sort of thing. And, and in the end, I have to say, I was disappointed in the movie, uh, but it was fun to make. Well, it was going for something so kind of, it was more of a satire maybe than. Well, certainly Verhoeven thought so. I mean, he, yeah. he thought it was a good opportunity to prove that everybody who's, in a, an elected government as a Nazi, and <laughs> and he intended to show that, and he did, I guess. Well, another <laughs> filmmaker that you have worked with who we love and who is very much sort of adjacent to the Mission Impossible franchise is, is Tony Scott, another person who we lost way too early. And I was wondering 
how that experience was working with him. The both Scots um, yes. were good directors, and I, I liked them both. Uh, they were visionaries. I mean, uh, these guys knew how to visually tell a story. Um, and you could see them when we'd have script meetings and that sort of thing. You could see them wandering off and, and you could see the, you know, the frame coming up in their in their mind. And, and I learned from them. Uh, I think I think what I took away from both Scots was really uh, the business of visualizing. Um, here it is. Here it is on a, you know, lines written on a page. But how do you see that? How do you see that delivered? Where are we? Uh, how can we change it up? I learned about camera angles, uh, you know, dutching a little bit and, and that sort of thing. I learned that from the Scots. So the, it was uh, they were they were a good school. We'll be back with more from Dale Dye after the break. Calling all vendors and non-vendors alike. Jump into the epic world of Avatar with your favorite podcast, Avatar, Braving the Elements. Hosted by me, Janet Varney. And me, Dante Bosco. Each week we'll recap and discuss a new episode. So come join us and our amazing guests from creators to cast to superfans to chat about all things Avatarverse. It's Fire Nation time. Book of Fire. Let's go. Listen to Avatar Braving the Elements on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen up. I won't sugarcoat it. This is the longest cold flu and allergy season we've ever seen, but we're not alone. We've got Instacart. Sure, you may be a coughing snot faucet who just wants mommy, but you're not giving up. Not when cold medicine, fragrant herbal teas, and honey shaped like bears can be delivered through Instacart in as fast as 30 minutes. Now let's go win the sick playoffs! Daddy, I just want my soup. Oh, sorry, Sport App says it'll be here in, in a few minutes. <laughs> Instacart for the win. How does it feel to be the re- like the reaction to Saving Private Ryan? You know, the, how, you know, that that opening sequence and everything i mean how does it feel to be how did it feel to have that reaction to that and how how does it feel to be a part of that amazing sequence well look i guess i guess if you look at platoon saving private ryan band of brothers and the pacific those have got to be the paper moon that's hanging above my my career if you will and it's nice to work with spielberg and it's nice when spielberg trusts you and wants, wants you to tell him how to do certain things uh, in terms of reality, the realism. I knew that when we shot that, and we shot it in, in Southeast Ireland um, on a beach called Curraclo, um, which the Irish would let us tear up and recreate. And we had a, a thousand men on the beach, mostly Irish National Guard uh, folks. Um, 14 armored vehicles and seven ships at sea. So it was huge. Um, I got my General Eisenhower fixed that day, but it was, it was, it was a monster. We had created a monster. And I I remember telling Spielberg, I said, listen, boss, uh, when you say action, I've got the radio here and I'll key all this to go. But we've issued everybody 
ammunition so that they they don't have to fire out what they've got and then stop. You know, they'll reload and off they go. But this is a force you've created here and and I've helped you create it. So I'm I'm talking from the inside here. Once you roll that puppy, you can say action, but don't plan on ever being able to say cut because it's just going to go until we run out of film or or they run out of ammunition. And he he thought about it and he, he loaded up the cameras with uh, we were still using film at that point. And he loaded up the cameras with uh, thousand foot magazines. And uh, and I went up on the top of the hill up above the Germans where I was off camera, but I could see the whole thing controlling on a radio. And and I got to tell you, when it when it started, I said, whoa, this must have been what a massive combat event like D-Day was really like. I mean, just seeing it unfold on that beach was magnificent, uh, if war can ever be described as magnificent. Uh, and it, it, it reminded me that maybe, maybe Ernest Hemingway was correct. You know, war is man's greatest adventure. And, and here I'm seeing it unfold. And I guess I'll never forget. It's, it's one of those highlights, it's something I'll never forget uh, having an opportunity to help do. Uh, and Spielberg was just as good as gold. I mean, he was great to me. The whole way through, he trusted me. I was at his shoulder every scene, every moment. Uh, and that was great. And, you know, it, it got me into a close friendship with Tom Hanks. And uh, since then, I've done Forrest Gump with him and Greyhound and a, and a few others. So I think I think I paid my dues on those kind of films. But more importantly, they, they led to uh, a trust that A-listers have in me that you know, if we, if we get Captain Dying here, he'll square it away. We won't screw it up too bad. <laughs> is is Masters of the Air going to be on the same shelf as these others? I I hope so. I can't I can't talk much about it. Um, I'm still under an NDA, but okay. I'm hoping it will. I mean, it would be wonderful to think that we hit the trifecta and the uh, Band of Brothers, which is so great, and the Pacific, which is just as great but underappreciated. And Masters of the Air has has the power to be the trifecta, and I hope it is. Mm-hmm. We're all very excited. We don't know where it is. Why? Why is it not out yet? No one knows. But whenever it comes out, we are very excited. Yeah, I I worked nine months on that in the UK, mm-hmm. and and it was during the COVID horror and all that. But it was tough. I I was just about ready to quit uh, when I got home. And one that's one of the reasons I I packed up and moved out of L.A. I didn't know whether I had that kind of long trek in me anymore. But I my executive officer has seen some of it. I haven't seen any of it. Um, And he reassures me we're going to be happy with it. So, yeah, that's That's great. great. Yes, we're very excited. (laughs) So with all this. you, what you kind of started with this military technical advising. I'm a military advisor. Technicals are, are. Sorry, military advisor. So, and, you know, Ben Stiller goes and makes Tropic Thunder kind of to spoof the idea of training actors yeah. to do that. And, and you, and you worked on it. Yeah. Um, 
Um, so, you know, did you did you kind of just play it straight and like do the same kind of thing that you do for for the more serious movies? Or was there a different approach for that one? Well, I worked on prepping it with Ben Stiller and on the script and so on and so forth. And again, I was on another movie and my executive officer had to go and do uh, Tropic Thunder. But he once again, he called me with with sit reps and would be roaring with laughter. And he said, this is terrific. And, <laughs> and I had I had worked with uh, and I, I loved the script. I knew if he cast it right, this is going to be tremendously funny. And and was there a wink and a nod that um, Nick Nolte's character was me? Yeah, of course there was. And, and I knew it. <laughs> and I knew it. And uh, and everybody else knew it. And you got to can't take that too seriously. I laughed at myself. I mean, that was funny. And I did go down and work with Nick on on that character. And he had some interesting questions. But, yeah, I mean, when you know, to me, it's like it's like being called into entourage to play yourself, which they did. I played myself. Right. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, that to me, that's uh, that's an enormous compliment. Yeah, it means you, you've you've made a, a dent. You've made an impression somewhere in in your chosen field of endeavor. Yeah. So I I'm not at all chagrined or embarrassed. I, yeah, you can't take it too seriously. Yeah. yeah. Listen, nobody's uh, nobody's playing us, Dale. You know what I, mean? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I get it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You get. You. <laughs> <laughs> uh, have you have you continued to watch the Mission Impossible movies since the first one? Have you watched them all? Yeah, I think I've se- well. Did you see the most recent one? No, I haven't, I haven't seen the most recent one. Um, but I've, I think I've seen the others. You know. Okay. Do you ha- do you have any favorites? Well, the one I'm in is clearly well. Right. Obviously, that's the best one. Yes, of course. Right. But yeah, <laughs> and to some extent, they've become kind of a stunt show, and and I I get that. There, there, not there's not any deep, you know, uh, any deep literal literary effort here. But Henry is back, you know that, and he in the new one he comes. Yeah, back. yeah, I heard. Yeah, that. I haven't yeah. seen it. But yeah. I will always remember when in the first one. I remember when they were doing that. Cruise is suspended on the on the wires and has to go through the. Mm-hmm. I said that's genius. Now. What are they going to do to top that? And of course, <laughs> immediately they <laughs> top the hell out of it with three or four other things. So uh, the writers on those things got to have massively vivid imaginations. And I think what they do is they frame out a story and then Tom comes in and says, OK, well, in this case, let's ride a motorcycle off the cliff and then I'll pop a parachute. And, and, and he would do that stuff. <laughs> you're not wrong Dale. you're not wrong uh we are obsessed with tom cruise's hairstyles throughout the movies and he has a very militaristic hair i know it's weird but he has a very militaristic <laughs> hairstyle in the first one and were you uh, did you have a hand in suggesting that hairstyle i remember saying that a guy who's operating in in that environment probably wouldn't have long wavy bouffant hair Okay, but I don't remember. I don't remember. I said that to one of the producers, and I forgot about it. And lo and behold, when Tom came out, he he yeah. trimmed his hair down. 
but I think it was a lot of it is Tom. I mean, he's very conscious of his of his image. And I think um, he's willing to change it only so much. Yeah, but he does have very long hair in the next one. Yeah, he didn't listen. That maybe that's if you had done it with with Stone, you you know maybe he wouldn't have had that hair. Yeah, because he has very long hair. I don't know. Yeah, Uh, but I but I do think he's conscious of that. You know, I think those are conscious decisions he makes. Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah. So it sounds like you're a short hair guy in the end. That's that's what I got out of that. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Um, Dale, it's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, We could talk to you for the rest of the day, but I'm sure you have things to do. When you're, if you ever come back to LA, please let us know. We would love to take you to lunch and hear more stories. Uh, yes, this was an absolute thrill. Um, it really was. So thank you so much. Well, I'm glad I could do it, guys. It's always fun to tell these kind of stories, and you know, occasionally it, it's like when somebody gives you a lifetime achievement award. You want to say, is that all? I'm, am I through? <laughs> <laughs> I got more material here. Yeah, yeah I got stuff here. But that, but, but opportunities like this uh, convince me that, uh, you know, I've still got something to bring to the table. So thank you for that. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you. And, and, and thank your wife too, for, for helping out. Uh, really, really appreciate it. She puts up with this crap. She's a sweetheart. So. <laughs> <laughs> thank you guys. Thank you so much. Oh, we hate to say goodbye. Yeah. Maybe it's not goodbye. Maybe it's just we'll talk to you soon. Yeah. You know? For sure. I think I think uh, I'd love to have him back and uh, we I, we could go through every single movie in his filmography. I would love to hear stories from every single one. Yes. <laughs> so uh, yeah, maybe again someday. Uh yeah, it's just it, it was cool to hear him talk about the uh, historical military movies and the approach for that and and uh, uh, hearing him talk about Steven Seagal and calling him Walter Mitty just killed me. <laughs> oh, Steven Seagal. <laughs> if you haven't seen The Secret Life of Walter Mitty, then uh, you should, because uh, that would explain that reference. <laughs> and it's perfect. Um, so, uh, yeah. And then the Terrence Malick story, of course, was uh, I, I just couldn't hold back from cackling i mean him wandering off and finding a parrot to talk to is just the funniest thing i've ever heard so i loved that and then really fascinating to hear his thoughts on starship troopers you know that he was a fan of the book and was not not a big fan of verhoven's movie i don't know i thought that was interesting interesting (laughs) i'm I'm halfway through a four-hour robocop documentary that i will give to you as soon as i'm done charles but oh yes just so into verhoven yeah, I thought everything he said was really wonderful and fascinating and and really insightful, too. I mean, there's one thing to have a funny story or an anecdote from a film, but it's another thing to kind of capture the whole production in your observations from set. And I think he did that in a really wonderful, charming, engaging way. So yeah. I am just very thankful that he gave us the time and allowed us to hear all of this amazing stuff. It's really, really great. Yeah. So anyway, uh, yeah, thank you all so much uh, for tuning in. Um, Well, Charles, if you're looking for something to do before our next episode hits on the following Tuesday, I got to say that you can watch the first six Mission Impossible movies on Paramount Plus right now. So I think that's a pretty good option, right? I mean, delicious. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I also just want to make sure everybody who is listening is liking, subscribing, rating, and reviewing wherever you're listening to this podcast. Five stars only. Five stars only. Yeah. If you don't think this is great, then just keep it to yourself. 
We don't need to hear from you. Just move on with your day. You, you don't. You can just forget about us. Nothing to see here. Nothing to see here. <laughs> um, and also follow us on social media at Light the Fuse Pod on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and TikTok. We'll be back next Tuesday for a brand new episode. And until then, for Charles Hood, this is Drew Taylor. Light the Fuse, the official Mission Impossible podcast, is produced by Charles Hood. That's me and Drew Taylor. Our supervising producers are Alexandra August and Abby Smith. This episode was edited by Luke Burson with music by Kevin Blumenfeld. Original Mission Impossible themes by Lalo Schifrin. This podcast is a production of Paramount Pictures. All rights are reserved. This message will self-destruct in five seconds. and non-benders alike. Jump into the epic world of Avatar with your favorite podcast, Avatar, Braving the Elements. Hosted by me, Janet Varney. And me, Dante Bosco. Each week we'll recap and discuss a new episode. So come join us and our amazing guests from creators to cast to superfans to chat about all things Avatarverse. It's Fire Nation time. Book of Fire. Let's go. Listen to Avatar Braving the Elements wherever you get your podcasts. John Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. Join late night legend John Stewart and the best news team for today's biggest headlines, exclusive extended interviews, and more. Now this is a second term we can all get behind. Listen to The Daily Show Ears Edition wherever you get your podcast.